From Press Communications, LLC, this is Jersey Shore Matters with Diane de Oliveira. June 19th, known as Juneteenth, is the United States' second Independence Day that did not become a federally recognized holiday until 2021, despite its significance when the last enslaved African Americans were informed of their freedom. Joining me today to discuss the importance of Juneteenth and efforts to bring public awareness to relevant social, economic, and political issues is Larry Hamm, a longtime human and civil rights activist and chair of the New Jersey People's Organization for Progress, also known as POP. For more than 50 years now, Larry, you've been leading grassroots efforts and working to solve injustices from the time you were a kid. Uh, As a 17-year-old student in Newark, you did something pretty incredible. Can you share that story with us? At age 17, I was a senior at um, Arts High School in Newark, New Jersey. I graduated that year in 1971, but it was in March of... uh, 1971 that I, as the leader of the student government at Arts High, I led a walkout, a march, and a sit-in all in the same day uh, of my fellow students at Arts High, and and we were protesting uh, over the issue of education, the need for quality education, and as a result of that protest, Uh, I met Ken Gibson, who was the first African-American mayor in the 300-year history of the city of Newark. And shortly thereafter, uh, in June of uh, 1971, uh, he asked me to be a member of the Newark Board of Education, not as a student representative, but as one of the nine fully empowered voting school board members. And I was sworn in on July 1st, uh, 1971. And I think to this day, I still hold the record as being the youngest uh, fully empowered voting school board member. I was 17. I wasn't even old enough to vote because my my 18th birthday wasn't until the following December. And uh, I served a three-year term I had been accepted at Princeton University, and I started at Princeton, but trying to do the board and Princeton was too much. So I withdrew from Princeton in the fall of 71, and I served my three-year term on the Newark School Board and returned to Princeton University in 1974, and four years later uh, graduated in 1978. And while I was at Princeton, Uh, I was uh, also an activist there. I was uh, one of the leaders of the anti-apartheid student movement at Princeton University uh, to get Princeton to divest its funds from companies uh, doing business with South Africa and uh, uh, led protests there that led to a sit-in in the spring of uh, 1978 that resulted in Princeton uh, uh, funds from several companies uh, that were doing business uh, with the racist apartheid regime at that time. And then after that, um, I did some graduate work at Princeton and then returned to Newark, New Jersey in 1980. And by 1982, uh, organized with um, my fellow organizers, the grassroots volunteer organization that works for racial, social, 
in economic justice, and this August we will be observing our 41st anniversary. That's amazing. I mean, you've accomplished so much, but from that time when you were 17 and being a part of that historic 1971 teacher strike, did you realize what path that you would be put on just from that action alone and just the courage to be able to do that then? Well, you have to remember, and I'm I'm sure you do, and I'm sure your listeners do, that those were heady times. Those were hopeful times. Uh, 1971, we were still in the throes of the, the civil rights movement and then the, the black power movement to get black political representation. And uh, people were hopeful. Uh, and remember, that was the period of movement for the end of the Vietnam War. And there was a kind of um, ethos in the country at that time that, that social change was possible. Did I realize it was a history-making moment? When I was appointed to the board, yes, I, I, and, and only because other people were saying it. You know, I mean, I was 17. I was yeah. still a kid. I mean, I might have been a more vocal kid, but I was still a kid. But, yes, you know, at that time, people did assess it as a kind of history making And remember, young people did not get the right to vote until, uh, I think it was 1970, when uh, the amendment was passed that changed the voting age from 21 to 18. Remember that? That's crazy, got, yeah. Got, yes, got the right to vote. So it was a time of uh, social effervescence and social change and... Um, now, looking back 50 years, more than 50 years, I'm still hopeful. You know, uh, we've had uh, other victories over the years. We've had other defeats. But I'm still hopeful that we can move this country in a more just direction. How much has have the issues changed uh, or the focus since you started People's Organization for Progress back in 1983 to where you are today. How much of a shift have you seen, and what are some of your most proudest uh, accomplishments? Well, I, I think that, <laughs> as I said, we've seen progress and we've seen uh, regress, <laughs> unfortunately. During that period, uh, strides were made in the area of civil rights, Black voting rights. Remember, I am old. I, I just turned 69 in December. So I'm old enough to remember Jim Crow segregation. I'm old enough to remember the de jure, the, the legal seg- segregation of the South because my family was from the South and we went South periodically to visit relatives. I'm also old enough to remember the, the segregation that existed in the North, although it wasn't legal, it was segregation nonetheless and continues to this day. Uh, since that time, uh, the, the Civil Rights Act was passed, the Voting Rights Act was passed, the Higher Education Act was passed, um, Medicare uh, came into existence, women's reproductive rights with the Roe decision, uh, workers' rights in, in all areas, you know, over the, the uh, 60s and 70s, even into the 80s, we made social progress. But then there was, and, and what's interesting is that Dr. King, even while he was still alive, could 
see the beginnings of the effort to turn back the progress that uh, was made. And, and Dr. King used to comment, and you can read his book, Where Do We Go From Here, Chaos or Community to Find This. He, he wrote it in 66, it was published in 67, you know, that every time African Americans would advance, there would be a white backlash, an attempt to turn back the clock. And for the past 40 years, we've seen an upsurge in that attempt. And uh, here we are today, you know, despite the gains that we made in earlier decades, we see the erosion of, of those rights and, and those social programs that opened up opportunities for millions of Americans, not just, you know, African Americans, but millions of Americans. I mean, look at, look at me. I was, came from a very poor family in Newark, New Jersey, but as a result of the Civil Rights Movement, the Civil Rights Act and the Higher Education Act, the doors were open for me to attend Princeton University, but not only for me, but for students uh, of, of color from all different segments of our society, and not just for students of color. Remember, there were no financial aid programs, period, for anybody before the passage of the Higher Education Act before 1966. All of that was made possible through social struggle. And now we've seen for the past 40 years an attempt to roll back gay uh, people's rights and so forth. And so the, the lesson here is that in order for there to be social progress, there must be struggle for social justice. And that's really the great lesson of Juneteenth. And when we talk about Juneteenth, there's still a lot of people that don't know about it or understand what it really means uh, until it became a, a national holiday. And you started to see more documentaries being made and really understanding what it was all about. What is it like to see that it is now recognized as a federal holiday, um, you know, after all these years when uh, for African-Americans, this is something that dates back to, I believe it was 1865, 1866. But here we are, you know, it took until 2021 to be nationally recognized. Yes, because the great bulwark against social progress uh, in this country has been racism and racism as people know, arose and throws during the slave trade. And Juneteenth is a celebration of the abolition of slavery in the United States of America, which existed in this country. Now, if we're just talking about the United States, we could say chattel slavery existed for more than 250 years, but if we talk about the Western Hemisphere, you know, we have to talk about 500 years of enslavement because uh, when Columbus arrived in this country, uh, when, well, when Columbus arrived in the Caribbean, that was really the beginning of enslavement. And, and the, the victims of enslavement for the first 100 years were the indigenous people. They were the victims of enslavement and extermination. And then the African slave trade, uh, the European trade in African bodies brought slavery uh, to the Western Hemisphere for 400 years. And so 
uh, it took a civil war to abolish slavery, you know, and that's something to really consider that more Americans died in the Civil War than in World Wars One, Two, Korea, and Vietnam combined. It was a cataclysmic war, but it was a it was it was a necessary step that was uh, needed to abolish slavery in this country. And the war ended in April of 1865 with Lee's surrender to Grant at Appomattox. And then, as you um, said in the introduction to the program, uh, it took some time for federal troops to move uh, throughout the South to, in fact, uh, make the pronouncement that uh, about the Emancipation Proclamation and, and that they were, through executive order, uh, being free. But keep in mind that the formal end to slavery in this country was not uh, General Order Number 3 that Gordon Granger read in Galveston, Texas, on June 19, 1865, but it was, in fact, the passage of the 13th Amendment that was finalized in December of 1865 that brought about uh, the, the constitutional end to chattel slavery uh, in this country. But uh, what happened in Galveston uh, was once that announcement was made, and remember, you have to keep in mind that many African uh, uh, black people, African Americans, did know, they knew about the Emancipation Proclamation, but the reason, I mean, uh, Gordon Granger didn't get on a train and come into Galveston and go on the balcony and make the announcement. He marched in with federal troops, and, and it wasn't just that he announced. He came with federal troops to ensure, through force of arms, the emancipation of the 250,000 enslaved people that were in Texas in 1865. And remember, those federal troops remained throughout the South, throughout Texas, and throughout the South until uh, 1876, 1877. Yeah, I mean, that's that's just incredible that the time lapse of, of when people actually found out that they were free. Uh, it's just amazing. I just want to remind our listeners, we're almost out of time, but I'm speaking with Larry Ham, the co-founder and chair of the People's Organization for Progress. He is going to be the keynote speaker for a Juneteenth celebration being held today in Red Bank at Johnny Jazz Park from 1 to 4. And you also have a Juneteenth reparations march and rally planned in Newark on Monday. Can you talk a little bit about those two events? Thank you so much uh, for bringing that up. And, yes, I look forward to seeing once again uh, my friends uh, in Red Bank, New Jersey. On Monday, June 19th, uh, we will be having our annual Juneteenth reparations march and rally. With the emancipation of African Americans in 1865, there was also the realization uh, by President Lincoln and others that uh, a- that freedom would mean little to African Americans if there was not some 
economic reparation for their enslavement. So um, in also in 1865, General Sherman issued General Order Number 15, which expropriated 400,000 acres of uh, slave masters' land and redistributed to the enslaved people that worked that land. That general, that military order, was the inspiration for H.R. 29, a bill that in, was introduced into Congress at that time by the abolitionist Thaddeus Stevens, which said that every freedman, or if he died in the Civil War, his family would receive 40 acres and $50. People needed land to survive. And uh, that bill was probably on the track to passage, but what happened? Abraham Lincoln was assassinated, and a very uh, conservative, very reactionary um, President Andrew Johnson took Lincoln's place and was bent on seeing that that would never happen. But the the desire for reparations continued, and uh, to this day we believe that to celebrate Juneteenth must also mean to raise the idea that African Americans should be compensated for the enslavement of our ancestors because other people have been repaired for national policies that were that they were the victims of. Native Americans have received reparations. Uh, the United States has contributed to funds for reparations for victims of the Holocaust in Germany. Um, uh, Japanese Americans uh, under Ronald Reagan received financial reparations for their internment in concentration camps that existed here in this country. So we're saying now it's time for African Americans to receive repair, to receive reparations, and we're calling for the passage of the Reparations Task Force Bill in the New Jersey State Legislature, and we're calling for the passage of the Reparations Commission Bill uh, in Congress, H.R. 40. Larry, we are out of time. I thank you so much for this informative discussion. I look forward to talking to you again in the future. Uh, Larry Ham, co-founder, chair of the People's Organization for Progress. And real quickly, if people want more information about POP or the upcoming march and rally, what can they do? They can call the People's Organization for Progress at 973-801-0001. And we ask everybody to join us on Monday, June 19th, 2 o'clock p.m., at the Lincoln statue to march with us to celebrate Juneteenth and to demand reparations. Thank you so much. You can hear Jersey Shore Matters with Diane D'Alavera every Sunday morning on Press Communications, LLC.